Today's scripture reading is Galatians 4, 8 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by whom nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? How can I testify that if, I, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me? Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. All right, one more time. Good morning, Sojourn. Hey, that's great. It's cold outside, so we got to be ready. My name is Justin Carl, and I'm the pastor of Next Steps here, and I'm delighted to get to preach through the rest of Galatians 4. Jamal got us started in Galatians, the book of freedom, preaching about what is sonship. That was verses 1 through 7, and today we're going to tackle 13 verses, but it's going to explain further how to walk in our sonship. Because here's the truth. This is what sonship's about. If you've repented and believed upon Jesus, Scripture says you have a new life in Christ. Scripture says that you are a new creation in Christ. Scripture says that you have been forgiven in Christ. Scripture says that you and your past have been forgotten in Christ. Your past has been forgotten in Christ. Your present life is now defined by Philippians 1, verse 21, which says, to live is Christ and to die would be gain, that you would get to go home and be with the Lord in full, that you have a new heart that's being renewed day by day. That's what your sonship is buying, and it secures a hope for you eternally. And the bedrock of all this gospel goodness, all these things that are done by the gospel, is sonship. That God made a plan for your sonship. That Christ secured your sonship by living a perfect life, dying his sacrificial death on the cross, and rising again from the grave. And now the Spirit of God has started that sonship in our heart where we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. That our deepest cry is for more of God, to know God greater, and to trust him. That is what sonship does. That is what sonship accomplishes. But there's a big problem. Because as much as Paul waxed poetic for seven verses on sonship, 
He's gonna talk to us for 13 about a huge problem that the Galatians are not walking in their sonship. That the Galatians, even though they know about it theoretically, even though they believed upon Christ, they are choosing not to live out their sonship. And this is the plot of a thousand books and movies, right? The princess who's mopping floors. She's in doing dishes in the back, but really she's a princess, but she doesn't know it. Or the king who's ashamed, but he can't return and be the king until he gets over what happened in his past. This is the plot of endless movies of living from who you are, but it's hidden, whether shame or mystery or ignoring it. And it would be a great Disney movie. This would be a fine text to read through if it wasn't so tragic, because the stakes are high for us. Because whenever we don't live out of our sonship, whenever we don't live as a son or daughter of God, we by necessity are a slave to sin. If we're not living out of being a son or daughter of God, we are living as slaves to sin. And this is how stark it is. Look at these phrases that Paul uses of shock and dismay throughout the book of Galatians. In in chapter one, he said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Galatians 3 put it this way. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And in our passage today, listen to his language. He says, I fear for you. I fear you're gonna lose your salvation. I fear that you're not in Christ because you're not living out of your sonship. And he ends the passage with verse 20, that I'm perplexed, I'm confused by you, Galatians. You know the truth of your sonship, but you're failing to live it out. You're not living from what is actually true about you. And this matters to us because I don't think this is a problem just for the Galatian church. I think if you're feeling weighed down, you're feeling miserable, you're feeling behind, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're not feeling the love of God, you're feeling like a failure, I would say the number one diagnostic solution is to ask, are you living from your sonship? The vast majority of our problems in Christianity result from us leaving our sonship and then trying to live something else. The vast majority of our problems. So today, the first part of this text, we're gonna look at how the Galatians were not living out of their sonship. And then the second part, we're gonna have Paul guide us of how we can grow in the security of our sonship, how we can grow secure in what God has done for us and live from our identity in Christ. So let me pray to that end, and then we'll jump right in. Lord, Father, God, I ask a simple prayer that you fill us, you fill me, you fill everyone here with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Lord, this is a serious text, and it's a lot of text, but Lord, we need it to build up our souls. Help us take your words and apply them to our hearts. Lord, we need you. Oh, Lord, we need you. Every day, we need you. Be with us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Look at verses eight and nine with me as we jump in. It says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? See, the Galatians had not been Christians long. 
All this is happening just in a couple of years here that he visited, he tells them about Christ, they come to faith in Christ, now he's writing a letter back to them. And he's referring that, hey, you used to be slaves to those gods who are not gods. And he's referencing as Greek people, the Greek gods. They used to be enslaved, they used to follow Greek idols or Greek gods. And he's saying they're not really gods because there's only one God. But then he also adds, they are these weak and miserable forces. In verse three, it has a similar phrase. And in other translations, it calls it the elementary principles of the world. And that phrase in Greek is loaded. It's saying, hey, they're not gods, but there's something behind these things. There's something behind these not gods. There's something behind these idols. And that word infers that there's demonic forces behind them. There's demonic forces behind the idols to success or fertility or over the sea or the land or the stars or the moon. These things that you worship, there's a demonic force pulling and drawing and tempting and and spinning lies to you. There is something evil about all this lying behind this religion. It is not just a passing thing that you're entertaining, but a demonic thing. And why are you going back? Why are you trying to head back to your enslavement. And we get this gift from Paul right there at the beginning of verse nine. It says the way out of paganism, the way out of being a slave to sin is to become a son of God through Christ. And we get this little gospel bomb. Look with me at verse nine. It says, but now that you know God, and it's almost like Paul catches himself. He's like, now that you know God, or rather have become known by God, And this is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of your sonship that you can know the real God. You can know the real God. You don't have to settle for demon-laced world religions. You don't have to settle for anything less than a true relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You get the real deal. You get the thing we're all looking for. And here's the even better news. As great as it is that we can know God, even more important, even more important than knowing God, because of the gospel, God knows you. More important than our knowledge of God is that God knows you. And that continues with the theme of Galatians, that we can't even take credit for our faith, that that's something God starts in us and gives in us and builds in us, that all of it starts with God. And here's the importance for us today. The security of our sonship rests that God knows us. If you are a Christian today, your invitation means you can step off that emotional religious roller coaster. Y'all know what I mean by the emotional religious roller coaster? Went to camp, feeling great. Sojourn music, woo, they sung my favorite songs today. Had a good quiet time, woo, I'm feeling high, I'm feeling good, my emotions are rolling. Had a fight in, in the car with my wife, and I'm feeling great. My kid's disobeying and won't calm down, not feeling great. My boss is kind of being a jerk, not feeling great. My kid ran to me, hugged me, and memorized her memory verse, feeling great. Then back down again. Uh, I missed five quiet times in a row, not feeling great. That's the roller coaster of emotional highs. And you're up and you're up and you start pursuing them like highs. You want hits, you want, you want more. You're like, please, I, I just need to feel better. I need to feel better about where I am with God. I don't wanna feel low like this. And the invitation to you today is you can step off the roller coaster. You can find deeper security 
in your sonship to where you're not so high and you're not so low, but you realize you're secure in Christ. And you can step off because your faith is based not on how you feel, not on how much you know, not even on how things are going, but because if you're in Christ, God knows you. See, Paul is suddenly shifting the center of our spiritual life away from us and putting God back at the center. The most important thing is that God knows you, not even that you know God, not even you're growing your knowledge of God, is the most important part of our faith, the security of our sonship, is that God knows you. And it's not an intellectual knowledge. This word know, he's referring back to all the Old Testament of all this great knowing of God. In Genesis 18, God, it says, he knew Abraham and he became the father of many nations. In Psalm 139, it says, he knows you in your mother's womb. He knows all your days before one comes to pass. Jesus puts it this way, they knows every hair on your head and it must be getting easier and easier for Jesus, for me, all right? The years are passing and it's getting easier on them, all right? See, God doesn't just know some facts about you. He knows the real you. He knows your name. And Isaiah 49, 16 says he knows you so much that your name is graven on the palms of his hands, that your name is written right here on the hands of our God. He has that level of knowledge and intimacy about you, and that's the security of your sonship. It's not about if you are high or low or doubting or this. It's that God knows you. And through knowing God, And being known by God, we become sons and daughters of God. And bearing all that in mind, I want to bear that in mind and then bear in mind the demonic forces that he says lays behind this, this pagan religion and feel the full shock of verses 10 and 11. Look where Paul goes with this. He's confronting them. He says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow... I have wasted my efforts on you. He says, you're observing special days, months, seasons, and years. And that doesn't sound so bad. It doesn't say, you know, it's, it's November, December, next year's 2019. But that little phrase is referencing the Old Testament calendar, where we think he's confronting them about pagan idols. He's actually confronting them that they've started to observe the Old Testament calendar. And he makes the same claim. You used to worship idols where demons resided behind them. For you to embrace the Old Testament calendar, for you to trust in the Old Testament calendar in addition to your faith in Christ is the same. There's demonic forces luring you to it. There are demonic forces at work to get you to trust in that calendar or any other observance of the law instead of Jesus. And Paul equates this to the, to the enslavement by demons. These Judaizers, remember, they want them to embrace certain Jewish laws like circumcision. And apparently one they added was you should embrace the Old Testament calendar too. And their message was that Christ is not enough and your sonship is actually at stake over Christ plus following these certain rules. And Paul is resolutely saying that this is nonsense. The only thing that puts you right with God is Christ. Christ plus nothing is everything. Christ plus anything is nothing. And the Bible, and it sounds shocking that the Bible could lead people away from God. 
It sounds kind of wild, like what do you mean the Bible is leading them away from God? What do you mean demons are using these Judaizers, using these people, using the Bible to lead them away from God? But the thing is, just because something's in the Bible, if it's improperly handled, it can be used as demonic. And I'll prove it to you by scripture. Satan uses scripture in attacking Jesus in the desert. One of the main critiques of the Old Testament is God saying, you're following all the rules and all the requirements, you're obeying all the laws, but your heart is far from me. Israel, you're using the scriptures, but you're seeking me wrongly. And that critique carries over as Jesus criticizes the Pharisees for a very similar thing. He's saying externally, you're whitewashed tombs, you're doing the law, you're doing a lot of the right things, but internally you're a mess, you're a rotting grave. And so we see you can use scripture to justify all sorts of things. But the thing is, just because it's from the Bible, if it's not handled rightly, it can be dangerous and demonic. So here's the truth. Worldly religion is demonic and dangerous because anything that draws you away from Jesus and trusting in Jesus to put you right with God is a tool of the demonic. It's a return to worldly religion. It doesn't matter where it's from. It doesn't matter its name. It doesn't matter if it's using some biblical content. Worldly religion is any attempt to put ourselves right with God. Worldly religion is any attempt to put ourselves right with God. Because worldly religion is primarily about me and what I do for God. And Jesus is about God and what Jesus has done for you. It's the opposite of worldly religion. Jesus is about God and what he has done for you on the cross, not what you can do for God. But here's where we see our hearts are sick. They're new, but they're sick because our hearts frequently, persistently attempt to go back to worldly religion. We're uncomfortable, deeply uncomfortable with the thought that Jesus paid it all. We want him to pay a bunch and us to pay some. We want our Old Testament calendaring falling, our church attendance, whatever it is, your Bible reading plan, whether it's doing a certain ministry to others, whether it's maintaining the right kind of friendships, whatever it is, if we add something to the gospel, we lose the gospel gospel. And so whether it's full-on paganism of worldly religion, pursuing money or power or sex or, or work or vocation or family as our ultimate satisfaction, or a more religious version where we do religious things to feel right with God, both are wrong because either way, that's about me and my efforts, not about Jesus and the sonship he freely gives. And that's the main problem from the beginning of this book to the end, that the Galatians have become insecure with their sonship. They've become insecure with their sonship. Instead of resting in that sonship and living in that reality, they got busy trying to follow special Old Testament laws to make them feel more right with God instead of trusting Jesus fully. See, when I bought a house a couple of years ago, it's about a mile from here, and I knew to live around here, I would have to have an older home. And if you know the Carls well, uh, we keep our house in the winter pretty hot, as hot as we can afford. Why? Because we're from the South, and we hate the cold, and today feels like a blizzard, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, no, you're a wimp. I'm like, I know, I know. But the thing is, so when we were trying to buy this house, we kind of had a condition. 
Either this house has to have a pretty new and nice furnace, or we're going to have to set aside some money and buy one. We're not going to be cold all the time. It's not how the Carls roll. So we found a house. They put a nice furnace in. It was a train. And I was like, oh, it's only like four years old. This is great. It's going to run great. We're going to be warm. And we were. We moved in. Winter came. But about halfway through winter, I'm sitting at the dining room table, and I start to hear a little bit of a squeak. Just a little squeak, a little, yep, that's my squeak voice, okay? And at first I'm like, ah, who knows what it could be? Went right on working, eating dinner, weeks passed. And then the squeak kind of became a squeal of like, I was like, oh my goodness, what is that? Like, so I go down there, like I was gonna fix it. I mean, (laughs) I'm just like, oh yeah, the thing is here, you know, it's there. It's coming from there. And so I go back upstairs and I ignore it again because that is how I deal with that kind of problem. I'm like, I can't fix it. No one can, you know, we're just gonna have to suffer, Elena. Um, But the thing is, the squeak turned to a squeal, which turned to literally starting to vibrate the floor. Like it started to lightly rock and then not so lightly rock the floor. So I'm sitting at my dining room table and I'm feeling like my wooden chair is turning to one from Sharper Image as I'm trying to cut my chicken. And it's like, okay, I'm calling the HVAC guy. I'm calling an expert. Comes out, he looks it over and there's no problem with the heating system. There's no problem with with the gas burning and, and, and heating up the air. But we definitely have a problem with our blower that takes that heat and then pushes it throughout the house. And as he takes off the lid and does all the things I can't, and I sit there and grow in humility, and I'm looking at it, he shows me what's wrong. And what's wrong is this fan that blows the air, the bearings have come loose. And at the start, it was just a small loosening But as the momentum of the fan, as the momentum of your life, as the momentum as the fan keeps spinning, the bearing got looser and looser to the fan is now rocking itself and hitting the metal and squealing and pulling the bearings off and off and off. The fan became unsecure from where it spun. And it started first as a squeak and then it was a squeal and then it was literally starting to shake my life. And it's usually not until your insecurity and your sonship starts to shake your life that anyone else can notice. We're the first one to hear the squeak. We're the first one to hear the squeal of, you better get it right. Jesus isn't enough, so you better get it right. You better start doing and reading this book or listen to this podcast. You better start doing this ministry and that ministry. You missed a day of your Bible reading plan, you better read three times as much to get a little blessing from God, get a little something from God. Because suddenly we become insecure that God really loves us, that God's really trustworthy, that we've really been bought at a price, that Jesus can really bring us all the way home, that sonship was really God's idea, that Jesus really died for sinners like me, and that the Spirit really does cry, Abba, Father, to a real God. So as it spins, that's what's happened to the Galatians. They're getting squeaky. They're starting to squeal. They're losing their religion in God. And they're starting to pick up a religion that's Jesus plus something. And it's dangerous. Look at Galatians 2.21. It's from the same book. It says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die, to pick up some 
gospel, some teaching that says that Jesus isn't enough, denies the need for Christ at all. It is Jesus and his grace alone that buys our sonship. And before we despair, before we despair that, man, behind all these religious things, maybe there's demons, maybe they're drawing me in, maybe they're, maybe they're tricking me, maybe my devotion to Christ is not really devotion, it's devotion to demons. Before you go there, I just wanna let you know, church, Jesus is greater than the demons. There are no showdowns in scripture where they're like having to duke it out. Jesus shows up, demons come out, demons drop to the floor, demons listen to Jesus, and he tells them what to do. Jesus always wins, and it's a knockout. There's no contest between Jesus and Satan. It's not back and forth. You can trust your Bible. You can trust your God. You, if you're in communion, you're listening to his word, you're, you're at a church, you're under the teaching, you're in the authority, you will know because if there's something wrong with your faith, Jesus will bring it to your attention. That's what Paul is right now. There is something wrong with the Galatians. They're not living from their sonship. And guess who's back? Paul with a letter. <laughs> you know? So here's the thing. It shouldn't make us nervous all the time. It should make us even more secure. If there's a problem, God will talk to me. I'm seeking God, he'll speak to me. He can solve when I become insecure. He can solve when I start investing in things I should not. And so that's application one. We're gonna do application as we go. But application one is this. Do the hard work to ask, where am I squeaking? Where am I squealing? Maybe I'm at the part that I'm starting to shake. The, the bearings are off that much. I'm that insecure in my sonship that things are going wrong. And it's probably, if you're at that phase, someone's probably already mentioned it. If you're in a close relationship with another Christ father, they probably already said, hey man, like, what's, a, what's going on with that anger? Why'd you tell that lie in front of those people? Why are you living like this, man? Are, are you addicted to this? That's priority happened. But you can probably feel the squeak first. Don't be like me and ignore it. Don't let it grow and grow and grow to your dining room shaking. You can be secure in your sonship. You can turn back to Christ. Do so. So we're gonna shift right here in the sermon because the entire book of Galatians shifts in verse 12. So it's an appropriate shift for this sermon. All the way through, we've had three and a half chapters where Paul has been fighting and battling the Judaizers, battling this wrong theology, battling this wrong teaching, and he's just been throwing hand grenades. He's like, boom, theological truth, boom, take that, take that. And he's been busting up this foundation they've laid over his and getting down to the real gospel. And the, you can imagine, they're just like, oh my goodness, like it's just one truth after another and he just keeps coming and it's like little bombs dropping. And Paul, while he's a theologian and he's dropping bombs, he's gonna shift into being a pastor and saying, hey, and I'm gonna walk you back into your sonship. And what I'm gonna use is not another fancy truth. I'm gonna refer back to our actual friendship. I'm gonna refer back to what actually happened between you and me, Galatian church. And so as we walk through these verses, I want you to hear it coming from Paul as a friend of the Galatians, recounting their life together. Because the solution to being secure in your sonship is following the son. It's living out of your sonship, not living to get something from God, but living out of gratitude of what God has done for you. So turn to verse 12 for me. It says, I plead with you. Other versions say, I beseech you, I entreat you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. 
And when he says become like me, he's referring to this concept that he is under Christ and he is following Christ. He's not looking for them to dress like him. He's not looking for fans. He's not looking for followers for himself. He's saying follow Christ like I do. He fleshes out this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, says it this way. It says, follow my example as I follow Christ. When he says, be like me, it's not dress like Paul, it's follow Christ like me. Because that next phrase, he says, I have become like you. Meaning, once Paul was a Jew who lived under the law, now Paul follows Christ and the law is off. Paul has become like this free Gentile following Jesus. And he's saying, y'all need to come back to be like me, as someone under Christ and following Christ. And he gives us some ways. He looks and reflects on our relationship. Look at the rest of 12 through 14. It says, you did me no wrong. When Paul first came, when he first met them, they did him no wrong. And he says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God as if I was Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself. And we see to follow Christ means to receive the hurting. If you wanna be secure in your sonship, then walk in it. They receive him. They receive this gospel and they receive this man and we don't know what's wrong with him. We don't know what's wrong with him. Later, the verse says that they would gouge out their eyes for him. And all sorts of commentators are all over the place on what's wrong with Paul. And that just means they don't know, you know, if they're all saying something different. But it could be that he has an eye disease. He could be a chronic bodily disease. He could be beaten up from being at Lystra and getting stoned. Who knows what happened? But Paul comes hurting and broken, and they bring him in, and they receive him. That a heart of some fallen Christ is to love, and that's not a new teaching. Jesus says the heart of following him is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and to love others as himself. To receive the hurting is what it means when Jesus says in Matthew 25 to care for the least of these. Or in Luke 14 when he says when you throw a party, invite those who are poor and can't pay you back. Or when Jesus says in Matthew 19, let the little children come to me. Or really from this own letter, when they told, the early church told Paul what to do, and he said, Galatians 2.10 says, their only suggestion was to keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. When we walk in our sonship, we grow more secure. When we refuse to love others like Christ, when we refuse to receive hurting people and sacrifice and love for them, because man, whatever his ailment was, it was serious enough that it was a big deal to receive him. They either care for him or the association with him was costly and they were willing to do it. When we love well, we walk in our sonship. When we refuse to love others, when we refuse to make room, it creates that gap. The bearing on the fan starts to, starts to come loose because that's what sin is. It's the refusal to obey Jesus. When we refuse to love others, the gap starts and the wobble starts. And so he's saying, it wasn't always like this where you hated me. There was a time when you loved me. Go back to that place. And look what it says. It says, uh, the rest of verse 15 says the eyes, but verse, uh, the end of verse 15 says, what has become of your blessedness? What has become of your blessedness? And I like this translation, the ESV, because the sense of it is this. When we obey Jesus from our joy of what God's done from us, we receive joy. 
He's referring back to how they felt to obey God, to receive this hurting man, to love him sacrificially, and then feel the joy that comes from obedience. You know you're walking in your sonship when you have a joy from God to obey, and when you obey, you get more joy. It multiplies. There's a blessedness to obeying God and serving one another. It's a tangible religion. It's a true religion. And I want a nuance here. Use wisdom. Use prudence. Think about what you can take on. Think about what's healthy and and, and think about safety and, and how we care for hurting and love others. But man, we are called to love. And this is happening all over Sojourn. And I want to just see it multiplied as we launch Carlisle, as we launch other works, as we make a difference in our city. One by one, loving people well. That's what it means to walk in our sonship. And here's the gut punch. Verse 16 says this. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Because all the way through the book of Galatians, he says over and over, I haven't changed and neither has my gospel. And you used to receive me like I was an angel or even Christ Jesus himself, but now you call me an enemy. And so this is Paul's call out saying, hey, what happened? What happened? You believed a different gospel or you've changed because Paul hasn't changed, but the way they treat Paul has drastically changed. They can't stomach the truth from Paul at all. And so we are free in Christ to love like Christ. But look, here's the next step. This is where they went awry. This is where the Galatians misstepped. We're free to listen or not listen in Christ because what changed about the Galatians is who they were listening to. That's at least where it started. Look at verse 17 and 18 with me. It said, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, but to, and, be, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. The Galatians stopped listening to Paul, they stopped listening to Christ, and they started listening to a new source. They started to prioritize the words of the Ju- Judaizers over everything else, and the results were disastrous. And church, I want to equip you to hear and know when you're listening to a false teacher, when you're listening to a false prophet, when you're listening to a fake pastor, you're listening to a manipulator. Their call ultimately is for them to fall, for you to follow them and not follow Christ. A false teacher is ultimately looking for fans, not to create followers of Christ. And that's what it says up here. He says, hey, they make much of you. They flatter you so that you'll turn around and flatter them. They're not here to form you in Christ. They're not here to grow you up in the faith. They are here to trick you. And the Galatians sadly fell for it. It's okay to be zealous, but we gotta be zealous for the right things. Being excited is not enough. We need to be excited about the right things of scripture. So be careful who do you listen to? Who are you taking to heart? Is it Christ and his word as the first thing? Or is it the latest book or documentary or so-called leader? And this leads us to our second application. Who are you listening to? The first is, are you squeaking? Are you squealing? The second is this, who are you listening to? Is Christ first? We can listen to things in the world. There's some good stuff out there, man. We gotta learn about our world. We gotta engage in our culture. But man, Christ's voice needs to be first. So who do we need to stop listening to? And who do we need to start listening to in Christ? 
Three is this, we're free to love like Christ, that's how we grow secure. We're free to listen to Christ and not to this world. We grow more secure in our sonship. But the ultimate goal of our sonship is that we are free for Christ to be formed in us. We are going somewhere, we are changing, we're being transformed. Look at verses 19 through 20 with me. It says, my dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed by you. And I wanna be honest, it kind of feels like Paul is, is mansplaining here. Okay, he's saying I'm in so much distress over you that it must be like childbirth. And so I have no idea if the ladies in Galatia received this or struggled with it, Um, but I think Paul chose this not to be insensitive, but rather because in the Old Testament, God constantly uses birth imagery to describe how he's forming his people, that he's full of love, he's full of concern, and he's willing to take on the pain himself to bring us back to God. It foreshadows what Christ would do for us. And so I think he uses that language to say, I'm that concerned over you becoming more like Christ, that it's like childbirth pains. Christ forming in you. I want you to think about it like clay that's been wet. Have you ever held clay that got wet? and it starts to get more puttyish and it's easier. That's like what happens to our hearts when we have sonship. We had this hard clay, a heart of stone, and then we're given this heart of flesh like wet clay. And what it's like to be formed like Christ, it's still us, it's our soul, it's our clay. But I want you to have the mental picture. It's like Christ's face being pressed into it over and over in time to where it's you, but it starts to be Christ shining through you. When you're secure in your sonship, Christ shines through you. That your soul starts to look and feel like Jesus. That you start to cry, Abba, Father, more and more and stop trying to prove yourself to God or anyone else. The security of your sonship goes deeper as you start to look like the sun in your everyday walk. So let Christ be formed in you because Christ is forming, Christ is forming in your walk Christ wants your sonship to feel like the same confidence and assurance that Christ walks in his sonship. You know your sonship is thriving when you start to feel the same kind of confidence and assurance that Christ feels in his sonship. That's where we're heading, church. Christ being formed in you. And he ends with this, that he's perplexed. And Paul is ultimately perplexed because they have Christ, but they're not following him. They have sonship, but they're not living out of it. But instead of being paralyzed by this, Paul presses in with them. He's perplexed, but he's not paralyzed. And he presses in, this is our third and last application. I think God might be calling you today to press into that wandering friend, to press into the perplexity, to press into the complication, to press into the social awkwardness that you would labor in prayer and labor in love and be so vulnerable and so gentle with that wandering friend that you put yourself out on the limb. Because man, Paul's just cutting a letter, man. He has no idea what's gonna happen next. He's laying himself and everything out there. 
And that's when we go to people to, to, to bring them back, when they're acting in perplexed ways, when they're not living out of their sonship, when you see the, sh- the, the floor is really shaking, check your floor first, great principle. But man, don't let your friend wander and wander until their whole house is starting to shake because the bearings are that off and they're losing their sonship and you get to the place where Paul is fearing for their salvation. Let's be a church that loves each other, that checks our floor first and goes with gentleness to remind them it wasn't always this way. Talk about theology, but talk about the friendship you have with them. Be like Paul that talks about the friendship, that talks about I've experienced you loving Jesus. What's going on, brother? What's going on, sister? Because that's how Christ pursues us. That's how Paul pursues the Galatians. And let us be a church that pursues one another like that. When we become insecure in our sonship, we return to slavery. But even though our hearts are prone to slip into slavery, we can follow Christ who continually offers us freedom. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a a loaf of bread and he took a cup of wine and he broke the bread saying, this is my body broken for you. Similarly, he took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you for a new covenant between you and God. He said to take this this communion as often as we meet, to remember in the past what he's done, remember Christ with us in the present, and to remember we have a future dining with Christ to come. It's our tradition to break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the wine marked by twine or juice, whatever whatever your conscience permits. We have communion stations in the front for the front half of the room, communion in the back for the back half of the room. Gluten free communion is to my left and your right. And this cup, This table, this bread is only for Christians that have trusted Christ and are trusting their sonship. They're repenting of their sins and continually find their life in Christ. If you haven't come to Christ yet, I beg, I'm so glad you're here. Please stop and consider what we've talked about today. And we can have you ready even next week to eat of this table. Come talk to someone in the prayer and guidance room or to anyone else. Let us practice.